Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian sits down with Sophia Choi, Chief Technology Officer of JobScan. Together they talk about startup mentality, how to attract the best and brightest talent, and how GDPR is influencing the future of cybersecurity. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we are joined by Sophia Choi, the CTO at JobScan. Sophia, how's it going? Pretty good, Ian. So, you know, Seattle's getting colder and everyone's kind of huddled and outside it's really gray. But, you know, there are things to look forward to, like pumpkin spice lattes and a right. warm it's blanket. Pump- <laughs> it's pumpkin spice latte season. So at least, uh, at least there's a win there. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on today. You know, we we wanted to talk about machine learning and JobScan is a startup. You're the CTO there. And there's some really cool kind of advantages that we've talked about in the past, but not on a podcast yet, about this difference between the startup mentality and big company mentality. And I think sometimes there's a perceived advantage to one or the other that, you know, big companies are like, well, you know, we're a gigantic ship where slow moving. It's not necessarily as fast as you want it to be. Whereas, you know, the startup kind of has that speedboat, but you hit the waves when you're in a speedboat. And uh, sometimes that can be, that can be pretty rough. So we want to talk to you about machine learning and the things that you're seeing from the startup world and how some of those advantages of being lean and nimble can apply to big companies. So let's first get into a little bit about your background. How did you become CTO JobScan? Yeah, so my background when I was an undergrad was computer science. I loved computers growing up. I remember when I was in middle school, I went to my local library and checked out all the books on QBasic. And my dad had a 486, and that never really stopped. So I worked for Microsoft for a number of years, which was a very natural fit, but I wanted to make more of an impact. And I went to business school afterwards to really try to expand my product and business horizons. After business school, I and my friend Zenia, we started a company called CivicUp, which is to promote civic issues and have people be more civically engaged. And JobScan is my second startup. So I currently own the technical, pretty much anything technical here. And JobScan is a service and we help job seekers. So Job seekers, when they apply to companies, a lot of the times the resumes get lost because big companies use something called applicant tracking systems. And applicant tracking systems use software algorithms to filter and rank and rate candidates. And we want to shed light for the job seekers on how they can get past that hole. Yeah. And I think I think that's interesting because job seekers don't necessarily understand how much of the algorithm they're fighting when they apply for roles. And, you know, we all we all know that 
the best way into a company is that you're ideally going to have you know, three references from internal and you're referred from a senior executive or something like that. But a lot of times that's just not the case. And it's really interesting what you're doing at, at JobScan is kind of almost democratizing some of that algorithm love back to the job seeker. Absolutely. Yes. So we use a bunch of algorithms reverse engineered from ATSs, applicant tracking systems. And also we have our own machine learning algorithms that can predict things that are missing in resume, things that are missing from the job description, help you fill in the gaps. Let's get into kind of some of those best practices that you've learned, you know, as a startup and kind of building this from scratch. What are some of the takeaways that, you know, big companies can can learn from the different things that you've kind of been been jamming on for the past few years? Yeah, definitely. So I think big companies or large organizations have a unique advantage in this space. So they have the financial resources so they can actually hire entire teams of data scientists and machine learning engineers. And they have the historical data available to really leverage machine learning. And assuming, uh, hopefully they've stored quite a bit of data, you know, during their existence. So they have that to look back to use predictions for the future. And, you know, machine learning is kind of like a tool, right? You can apply it in so many different arenas. So for a big company, this can be as straightforward as using regression to predict future operational costs for the finance department. For marketing and sales, you can fine-tune your customer segmentation to find trends on who pays for your product the most or is really enthusiastic, and you can do really clever targeting. For hiring, you can flag really great candidates that could have been overlooked by applicant tracking systems. For customer support, you can use chatbots to you know, really help if you have an over, overwhelming large amount of customer support requests, you can use that to automate the process. And obviously there's, you know, product differentiation, which is, there's so many interesting machine learning applications, right? There's object recognition from images or a fingerprint analysis and all of these things. You can find clever ways for a larger company, which has been in the field for a while to kind of differentiate their product and put a new, you know, spin on something that was, that has been traditionally popular. So I guess for machine learning, like it's it's definitely like it's a tool, but it's also a toolkit because there's just so many different applications and big companies do have the data to really leverage it. So where are some of the places that you're looking to find publicly available data? Because I think that's one of the big advantages is, you know, in a large organization, you have potentially just enormous amounts of information. And sometimes that's a difficulty because they need to figure out how to shape that stuff. But what are some of those places where you all can find good publicly available data that you can leverage? Yeah, that's a really good question. So for a startup, I think the process is likely a lot different. We start by trying to gather external data, whereas I think for a bigger corporation, they would try to you know take a hole or have some kind of reins over their internal data sources first. But in general, if you're like just getting into machine learning or getting into data science, I think Kaggle is a really, really great resource. So not only do they have a lot of open data sets, they also have different ways people use the, those data sets, and that's completely open. So you can see regression or a canon run against the same data set to produce different kinds of results. So it's not just a data set, but it's also how people can learn from it. And they have thousands and thousands of different ways. 
So you can always search for something that applies to you. I think one of the ways that we kind of take for granted is our social media feeds, right? If you're a large company or if you're a small company, you can use, you know, Instagram or Twitter has open APIs where you can plop a sentiment analysis algorithm and figure out how your new feature is doing and how people are receiving it and how many tweets you get. You know, like those are all open data sources, which are you can you can leverage and you definitely should leverage. Another really cool one, I think, is underrated, is Wikipedia. So Wikipedia has, most people know, has a lot of information about pretty much everything. But what they don't know is that the underlying data structure of Wikipedia is actually semantically linked. Semantically linked, meaning it's not just a bunch of text on the web page. There's actually really deep relationships that represent objects. And from semantically linked data, you can actually do queries like, well, between years X and Y, who are the composers that produced, you know, more than 20 hits? Some very, very sophisticated queries. And that's that's really cool. And Wikipedia's data source is also completely open and completely free. So you, you should be able to find something in your domain. And oh, one last one I think is particularly good for people in different industries. Data.gov, which is U.S.'s, you know, initiative to have more open data sources regarding like historical census data or company industry data, employment data. That is, there. There are so many things you can discover with with your own company and industry and competitors and predicting trends and forecasting. So a lot of different data sources. If you're a big company, I would definitely say if you're not leveraging your own data internally, start there first. (laughs) Because, you know, as a startup, we wish we had more data, right? We have to collect this data and do our own forecasting based on the models of others. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think the way that you can get creative to find those things to, you know, the Wikipedia API or leveraging data.gov. I think sometimes those are, those are overlooked at times that, Hey, maybe we should be looking at other sources other than our own to, to look for more information. So what are some of the other things that you're doing kind of in, in startup world that big companies might be able to, you know, leverage or learn from? So, you know, as a startup, we're really lean. Our resources are pretty strapped and we have to react really quickly to anything that comes at us. So (laughs) a lot of the things we do are being kind of scrappy with the tools that are around us. We leverage the insights of other startups a lot. For one, you know, for our data collection from users, we use three or four different kinds of tools like Mixpanel, User Voice, Google Analytics, obviously everyone uses that. But these data sources also use machine learning internally. So we are able to kind of like leverage the tools of people that we use that do things really well. And I think big companies, you know, when they have a problem, they usually like solving internally instead of looking outward for something that's already out there. And just customer data collection is just one of them. There's a lot of other things like we use bare metrics for Stripe analytics. So they will provide us with some forecasting for our current revenue, future revenue, you know, these things that I guess for us, we're not experts in forecasting revenue. So we want to still have that state-of-the-art expertise. So we're able to like find partners who do it for us. What about using PII? How are how are you kind of looking at challenges with PII? 
PII is really interesting. So we, like most companies, hustled to get GDPR compliant by the deadline. And a big portion of it is PII. So, you know, I think we're lucky in the sense that we started at a point where we're very conscious of what we're storing in the privacy of user data. And we try our very best to not ask for your social security number <laughs> or anything to, and we, we obviously we don't store those. So for a lot of it, we offload to PCI compliant partners, right? Do these for payment analytics or payment processing. We're like, okay, you guys are the experts. You guys handle this for us. And we're kind of lucky that we started this process pretty early. For larger companies, for PII, it's it's hopefully something they've gotten at least a pulse on and they have, you know, the data stored somewhere where privacy is already kind of set in place by their clients or users or partners. And I think with the forecasting of something like GDPR potentially coming to California or United States in the future, it's Definitely not. A lesson learned from the startups, which is let's not wait to the last minute or last year to implement GDPR, right? It was a huge operational cost. And there are companies that basically said, okay, we're just not going to support users outside the United States because it's too expensive for us. But that's that's not that's not a long-term mindset. That's just saying we're going to try to get out of it early. And for larger companies, they can't afford to do that. They can't afford to do that because sooner or later, you know, you're going to have really good privacy guidelines coming in for the way you're handling user data. So if you don't have a pulse on it, <laughs> you definitely should start thinking about that early. Yeah, it's a really good it's a really good point. And I think a lot of, you know, the CIOs that we've talked to are, are trying to figure out how to get as far ahead of that as as they can get. Do you think some of the, you know, startups being wired for analytics day one and how that's built into how you're building do you think that that is is something that's an advantage or something that, you know, or the, the kind of lack of, of different systems or do you still kind of have the same amount of systems across, you know, I mean, we're still like, you know, Mark was saying that they had 400 systems for an 800 person company a, a while ago, it, those type of numbers. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. But, you know, in startups, you're just building a lot more lean. And do you think that that's kind of something that you've seen as an advantage compared to your days at, at Microsoft or whatever? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So Microsoft, at least when I was working there, ship cycles were on the orders of years where for startups, most startups I know are shipping, you know, weekly, some daily. And when you have a customer feedback loop that's a magnitude difference, then obviously you can move faster, do things better and react quicker. The fact that we are wired for analytics from day one is a necessity, right? If we can't react fast enough, we just don't have the resources to compete with a larger company. And larger companies definitely can learn from this. The first thing is getting a pulse on how your users are feeling. And that should be every single minute if you can. And we do this, technically we do this really well. If the server breaks down, we know immediately because things are not working. But how do you know if your users aren't happy? How do you know if the new feature just doesn't really work? Right, big companies, I think, sometimes have this hubris where they they've, they've been around for a while. They know what they're doing. They think they the users are happy with whatever they're giving and delivering. But in reality, you, you need to really crunch numbers and dig into user behavior to see if you are getting the adoption numbers compared to a startup of 
startup of in the same size, you know, like are, are you guys comparable in how users feel about your product? Switching gears to the talent side of things, obviously with JobScan, you know, you see thousands and thousands of applicants go through getting their resume scanned at JobScan. But for you personally, and for looking at technical talent, what are some of the best practices that you've seen, you know, finding technical talent? I think for any company, large or small, that's always a challenge. My favorite resource so far has been Hire.com. I got referred to a couple of years ago by an engineering friend of mine who was looking for a job, and he finally landed at Google, but he just told me the process of matching was really, really high quality. And the ratio of high-quality candidates and companies was really high, and that's also my experience uh, and JobScan's experience using Hire.com. So... You know, a lot of it is it's not really a numbers game. It's not throwing out as many applications or th- trying to maximize your exposure. It's how do you connect with the right people with a high ratio of being qualified and really good for you, right? So Hire.com has, I don't know, they have some magic there that definitely works well. But definitely don't neglect the traditional channels. Like Indeed is huge. LinkedIn, definitely promo your position if you have a position on LinkedIn you get thousands of more views that way. AngelList for smaller companies or startups is an absolute must. I would say if you're looking for something a little more specialized, if you're looking for, let's say, a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, definitely tap into those networks and get into those early because you might find someone that's not on LinkedIn. You might find someone at a conference that is doing like an LLP presentation. They could just be the perfect person, but their first goal is not getting hired. Career affairs at school, if, you're, if you have the resource and time to kind of get your brand out there, is always good. We're looking for a lot of really bright, eager <laughs> students who are passionate about something in the beginning of their career. Yeah, and also Google Scholar, you know, for something specialized is really good too. They actually have a lot of, if you're a master's student or a PhD student, you're going to have something probably listed in there. That's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. That's a really good idea. Another thing that we, we talked about before getting on air was that reaching out as CTO was something that that worked really well for you or reaching out from the CEO's perspective. And obviously, you know, in startup world, you know, we got to fight and win talent against against big folks sometimes. But I think that there's a really strong lesson there about how having a recruiter or whoever it is to reach out to someone, people are a little used to that, but having the actual person who's going to be their, you know, supervisor or a couple levels above that can be really important. Can you share kind of some info about how you did that? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Talking about the channels, but not really the methods. And for all the engineers that we've hired, I've, you know, been the one sending out uh, not just LinkedIn connects, but also scheduling for coffee before the interview just to get them comfortable, get them excited and find that connection, right? I think a lot of companies for technical talent, they will send a recruiter paying first to see if there's interest because that's a lot cheaper as a way to get talent. But really, when you have your CEO or CTO or the manager send that first email, even if it's automated, you know, it just means a lot more for that candidate because, A, they know you looked at their LinkedIn or their resume and there's some sort of weight behind it. And 
Also on the same front, you know, if you have a referral from a friend, are you able to kind of pull a name like, oh, we both worked at Microsoft or, hey, I see we're connected to this person. You know, that's also really helpful because at any point you can bring a personal touch, I think is really good. Any point where you're adding more weight and substance to your ask, which is come meet with us, find out who we are. I think that's really helpful. Didn't you say it was something like you had three times more response rates or something like that by by having you reach out instead of the recruiter? I forget I forget off the top of my head, but not exactly three, but I definitely had I think I've had about eighty I only had one person that didn't respond to me. All the rest of them did. But I know with our HR recruiter, she didn't get the same response rate. Yeah, I mean that's pretty good. Almost hundred percent response rate's pretty good. So what are uh, what are some pieces of advice for, you know, first-time CTOs that that you kind of feel are most useful or that you've got over over your uh, 14-year career? This is also a really good question. I wish I wished uh, someone gave me this advice much earlier, but one of my good friends, Alex Curlin, he's uh, the co-founder of Learn Freckle and he sent me this article much earlier like a couple of years ago, which is the Five Flavors of Being a CTO by Matt Tucker. And he in, in this article, there's like five beers and there are different flavors of beers. And basically, you know, pick the flavor you want to be and be your own advocate early because you're going to be asked to be the software architect, engineering manager, technical evangelist, PM at different times. And you'll be absolutely miserable and burn out if you try to wear all the hats. And CTO, as you will find being in that path, you are asked to wear many, many hats. And getting a rank of your own success criteria is really important early. And obviously, if you are leaving behind gaps when you do set up your criteria for this is the person I want to be, having this hiring strategy for the gaps you leave behind is also really important. Another good resource is Paul Graham. So Reddit, Y Combinator, super well-known person. He had this blog article about the segmentation of your time. And he said, well, you know, when I first started this, I had my day by going to all the meetings I needed to go and then starting my actual work, kind of actual work, technical work after dinner. So it's kind of like, you know, do what works for you, but don't neglect part of your duties. You still need to go to meetings. You still need to do your technical individual work. At the same time, if you do need that flexibility of segmenting your days, you can focus on your technical work. Don't be afraid to make a schedule that works for you. Those are great. And I have not read either. I read a bunch of the Paul Graham essays, but I can't I can't remember that one off the top of my head. I need to need to revisit. Any other stuff, you know, pieces of advice for first time CTOs or your fellow CTOs? So I feel like, you know, CTO technology is to your first time CTO is always just like, oh, I'm going to find the coolest AWS stack for my product. I'm going to use the newest, you know, frameworks and software. I'm going to make everything like just the coolest technology, right? But it's, it's a lot more than that. And sure, your prototype can have all those cool things, bells and whistles. Your CEO is going to be really happy with you because it's going to look great. But then once you start getting users or revenue or attraction, you're going to need business intelligence. You're going to need data pipelines for data scientists. You're going to need user behavior funnel analysis. You're going to need 
marketing segmentation and customer feedback loops, email campaigns. And it's really important to plug those things into your product as early as possible because you don't want to lose historical data. You don't want to fall into the trap of having almost like a big company hubris where you think your product is going to work. You really need those data pipelines in there as soon as possible. And a lot of these things are free and there's going to be a lot of startups who Startups and smaller companies that provide those services free for you, and they provide very easy hooks. So don't assume you can build a better tool than what's out there. Just leverage what you have. Okay, let's get into the lighting rounds. Lightning round is presented by the lighting platform by Salesforce. These are fast and easy questions. The previous ones, not so fast, not so easy. These ones, fast and easy. Not unlike the lighting platform. So let's get into it. All right, number one. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Pokemon Go. Favorite time-saving tool? Slack. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? I, you know, I really love AlphaGo. I, I think it's such an elegant, it's an elegant algorithm. And the fact that they defeated the world champ in Go is just, is, it blows my mind because it's such a complicated game. We learned very early in computer science that this is an, it's a really difficult problem. It's NP-hard. So complexity-wise, it's just mind-boggling. But the fact that an algorithm can actually, you know, computationally defeat a player that's that good, I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, it's insane. And, like, the level of complexity of that is, like, insane. It's, it's just wild. Do you have uh, favorite team, sports or otherwise? The Anaheim Angels, my childhood team. I grew up five minutes from the stadium, so. Oh, nice. Favorite podcast or recent book? I, I love audiobooks. So Steven Pinker, The Better Angels of Your Nature, which was actually recommended by Bill Gates recently, but I, I recommended it before Bill Gates. So I would like to think of the first, nice. at least for Microsoft. <laughs> and well, and you, you're, you're near Seattle, so maybe it was, uh, maybe he saw your recommendation. <laughs> I will take the credit. <laughs> it's it's a really great book. I think whenever I feel a little bit down or you know something's not happening right in the world, I I listen to a few more chapters. And I'm just like you know it's gonna be okay. I have a little bit more faith in humanity, so that's always a good feeling. This too shall pass. Yes, yes. I also really like the mission. I listened to a couple of podcasts. David and Goliath was my first one, and I was just like, "Whoa, this is really cool!" I didn't know a tech story can be told in this sense, and kind of blew my mind. So I, I, I do appreciate you guys too. I love it. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, that episode of the story was really fun. Favorite one day getaway in Seattle? Ooh, Olympic Peninsula. I think right now is absolutely gorgeous so you'll have the beach you'll have the rainforest you'll have hot springs so whatever your heart desires there's something there for you right now i'm sold that sounds great okay last question what technology are you most excited about so i think there's a general trend of media being more and more driven by users. So you can see this in YouTube content creators. You can see this in Google allowing individuals to publish news articles and Twitter, you know, as almost like a secondary news source now. I am really excited about different platforms that really enable users in different spaces, not just the current ones that we have. Couldn't agree more. We're hugely into creators here at the mission. So we definitely agree with that. That's it. For lightning round, thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. 
With Salesforce now building apps is everyone's business. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash build apps. All right. Anything else? This is great. Thanks so much for coming on IT Visionaries. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, appreciate it. Take care. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.